It's the Christmas episode of the Cinema Psych Podcast. Who the heck are you? I'm the host. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Well, hey, buddy, I, I mean, I don't think that's really all that helpful. You sit on a throne of lies. Well, it's more like an office chair than a throne. Not like beef and cheese. Well, that's kind of rude. Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Psych Podcast, the podcast where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and I am really excited for this Christmas-themed episode of the podcast. I don't know if we'll do this for every major holiday or even every year during the major holidays, but I feel like I wanted to do it this year. Uh, and I'm super excited to be talking about a really great film, as you may have guessed. Today, we are going to talk about the seminal recent Christmas classic, Elf, starring, of course, Will Ferrell as Buddy the Elf, directed by Jon Favreau. You know, in one of his first directorial uh, films... And you think to yourself, this guy that starred in Swingers, what's he doing directing a comedy like this? That's crazy. That's crazy. We're going to have lots of fun, though. And I'm super excited to bring back, for the first time, a guest host. Wind, good friend, joins us again. Welcome back to the show, Wind, uh, on our Christmas-themed episode. How have you been? Anything new to share with the listeners? Thank you so much for having me back. It's so fun to do this podcast. And uh, I'm happy to share two things that have been happening in my world recently. First is I'm super excited that there's a new book out on psychology and pop culture on The Joker. And I have a chapter in that book on the abusive relationship between the Joker and his girlfriend slash servant, Harley Quinn. So uh, that's a fun book that just uh, came out in time to be released with the new movie. So that's out on bookstore shelves today. And I also just signed a contract to co-edit a new academic book with Routledge Publishing on stigma interventions. So if any of your listeners do research on how to intervene and reduce stigma across a wide variety of uh, marginalized groups, please have them contact me and I would be happy to consider them as a chapter contributor in the new book. Well, listeners, you heard it there. That's pretty awesome. And I love the uh, comparison of Joker and Harley Quinn because honestly, you don't hear about those two in that coupling before because, you know, it's Joker and Harley Quinn and they're villains and most people are talking about the hero couplings like Superman or right. Lois, that sort of thing. 
that's super awesome and exciting. Congratulations on the two books. And so, Wind, uh, as I mentioned, I have decided, or you have decided, for us to discuss Elf. I emailed you and I said, Wind, do you want to discuss another episode? <laughs> and I said, yes, please. And I said, I asked, Christmas theme, which one should we do? And you said you came up with Elf. So what was your reasoning for choosing Elf? Because smiling is my favorite. Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. <laughs> yes, yes. Smiling is my favorite. Is that it? <laughs> well, I, I love this movie. I think it's just fun and lighthearted. I think it, it puts me in the holiday spirit. And I I just think anything with Will Ferrell is hilarious. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. Same. Same, honestly. Same is all I can really say. So the movie came out in 20, uh, 20, 2003. And so it's 16 years old. And I think one, it was an instant yeah. holiday classic because it's just a good movie. And then two, 16 years later, it's a holiday classic interestingly enough the uh, one of the elves is the boy from a christmas story one of those other holiday I didn't classics know that. Uh, yeah i think he plays uh ming ming or oh, one of the so head cool. elves uh at the north pole at the beginning of the film i think it was a good get by john favreau yeah knowing that he did a fantastic job, a good get, let's say. Yeah, he he knows what he's doing. So we chose Elf for the holiday classic, but you know, honestly, it might not be the uh, Christmas film that we choose when we think of psychology. So, what were the aspects, Wind, of psych that you found in the film Elf? Well, I think that there are several aspects of the movie that can relate to psychological theory, but I, of course, have a bias that I think every movie is about psychology. As we discussed in your first episode, yeah. So, if you... <laughs> right. So, I, I thought of a couple of things that I thought would be interesting to discuss, and let's just jump right in with the first thing that occurs to me, is that Elf is really about different cultures meeting and how people can experience the clash of going to a new culture and having people not understand them and they don't really understand the culture. And so people think that they're strange and that's just because they're doing what's normal to them and it's not normal to this new place or people. Yeah, I think that's apparent when he heads over to New York and he's out of place. Right. But I also think that fits with him growing up in the North Pole, right? Because he's Im immediately a fish out of water, right? So I, I don't. Do we have to explain a, a one sentence summary of the movie for people who aren't familiar with it? I don't know if that's necessary. Sure, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, so, so the whole movie is basically about Will Ferrell, who is adopted. Uh, he's a human, 
He's adopted by an elf at the North Pole. He doesn't know that he's adopted until he's basically an adult. And when he realizes that he is, in fact, a human and that his father lives in New York City, he decides to travel to New York to meet his father. Then hilarity ensues and he meets a girl, right. which is almost the B plot, I would say. But yeah, but yeah, for sure. uh, that was a pretty good summary. I, I like that. Very good. Very good. Well done. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so he finds out he's a human uh, and he finds out in kind of the most movie way. He overhears some elves talking about it and he's like, what? I'm a human. That doesn't make right. any sense. How can I be a human? Papa elf. But the the reason that they're talking about him is because he's not fitting into their their culture. And that's. That's not so much at this point in the movie. Um, psychology isn't as it is his physicality. He's so much larger than the elves that he doesn't fit into their beds. He doesn't fit into their bathrooms. And his sort of bigness makes it harder for him to work with the elf toy making tools that they use. He can't seem to keep up with their pace of work. So, you know, they make like 6,000 Etch-a-Sketches in a day, and he makes 75. So part of his struggle is that the culture is set up for someone who's not as physically large as he is. And because of these difficulties, that's when it's revealed that the reason he doesn't fit in is because he is, in fact, an adopted human. Right. And one of the things that I grasped onto in that moment was... He had to find meaning in that situation because we as humans have a high need for belonging. We have this need for mm -hmm. affiliating uh, and it's so powerful that we can die from loneliness. Studies have shown that um, the immune system gets knocked out uh, out of commission uh, for extreme loneliness and, and could ultimately uh, kill us. So, you know. And, you know, a little bit of uh, delusions by Papa Elf. <laughs> right. During his uh, development growing up. But, you know, the truth eventually comes out. You know, Santa, he has a naughty list. Yes, he does. And a lot of people in this movie <laughs> lie. They lie, and it's not good. Well, that's that's an interesting point, but I'm not sure that elves receive Christmas presents. Okay, well, that's fair. <laughs> so, you know, I think that they're they're producing the toys. I'm not sure they're ever receiving them. We don't we don't ever really see that as as part of the lore. Yeah, that's true. Santa comes in and says, well, that was a very successful Christmas. It's time for the next one. I got to say, right. Ed Asner as Santa, edge out Tim Allen as my favorite portrayal of Santa in this film. Uh uh, well, I'm not a big fan of Tim Allen, so I'm going to agree with you, but that might be a biased opinion. But but um, just as a sidebar here, I, I think we could get back to cult cross-cultural psychology, but just as a sidebar, in, in terms of Santa's treatment of the elves, I mean, they all seem extremely happy. I think it's a very collectivistic culture, but I'm not so sure that, you know, maybe a union wouldn't be 
a reasonable thing for them to consider. They don't really seem to get any days off. You know, they they definitely have quotas that they are required to meet. I'm not sure that they've received a raise in quite a while. Right. Yeah. He could be exploiting them. They they Santa, right, they seem happy, but Well, yeah, right. Yeah, and that could be the nature of their collectivistic culture. Right. I guess we could call it that. But he could be exploiting him. Yeah, you know, Santa's human. At least he looks That's more right. human than the elves do. You know, he may be yes. a, an authoritarian dictator. You know? Absolutely. We don't see Mrs. Claus. We only hear about her. And so maybe this is a dystopian society right. that we don't want any part of. That is definitely a spin on it. And, and so... Part of the reason that they might be so happy is because I would argue that the North Pole has this collectivistic culture. So in psychology, we make the distinction between individualistic cultures, which is what we see in the movie in New York City, and the collectivistic culture. I think the epitome, right? Absolutely. Um, so collectivistic is, you know, you're working on behalf of the collective. You're working on behalf of the group. You're making sacrifices for the group or for your family. And then, of course, New York being the epitome of individualistic, which is about selfish needs and self-promotion and competition. And so we really see the individualism hitting the collectivism in both directions here in this movie. And so I think that's a really important psychological theme. Yeah, it's a good fish out of water story, um, especially the ability to paint these broad cultural swaths. Uh, across the uh, landscape here and see the differences between individualism and collectivism. That's a great find. As a not social psychologist, I'm probably never going to spot that unless it's literally smacked over my head while watching the film. Like has to be super blaring in my face. Maybe more to the cultures that actually exist on Earth. <laughs> right, right. Instead of elf culture versus, I don't know, human culture. Well, you've never been to the North Pole. I assume you're not really sure, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, maybe <laughs> they exist and we will perhaps find out one day. That, w- that would be interesting. <laughs> okay. So let's focus on Buddy for a moment uh, because he's the main character of the film and a lot of the film is driven by who he is and what he does. So you had a good find on this one. What could we apply to Buddy in this case? Well, one of the most popular theories in developmental psych, social psych, um, and in fact, several other areas is attachment theory. So this is a theory that's been around. Um, John Bowlby came up with it in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And basically, the idea is that your first relationship in life with your primary caregiver, so usually that would be a parent, that becomes an implicit template for you in all of your future relationships. So if that first primary relationship was healthy and and secure, you will be able to have healthy, secure relationships as you grow up. And, and in particular, a lot of research has focused on your adult romantic relationships. 
but also, you know, with other family members and, and really anyone in your world. So that's kind of an interesting theory to apply to Buddy because he's had a, a unique childhood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so for people um, who haven't seen the film or, or maybe if it's been a while, um, you know that Buddy's father is not even aware of his existence um, until Buddy goes to New York as an adult many years later. Buddy's mother um, got pregnant and gave him up for adoption. He lived in an orphanage, a Catholic orphanage, um, with nuns who appear to be fairly kind and, and loving toward him. Um, but of course, there would be a lot of children in the orphanage, so they might not give him a lot of attention. And then he crawls into Santa's bag of toys one year, and Santa takes him back to the North Pole unknowingly, and he is adopted by a character named Papa Elf. Yeah, Papa Elf, uh, played by, um, why can't I think of his name? Newhart. Bob. Bob. Thanks. Yep. <laughs> I swear I know all these people. I swear. Okay. Bob Newhart, yeah. In a really great role that I think doesn't get a lot of credit for a the for the amount of force perspective that they had to do because Will Ferrell is so tall. You know, Bob Newhart's a smaller guy, but he had to be really small. And he doesn't get a lot of love for this movie and i and i think he did a fantastic job oh he he was great but you bring up a good point about papa elf because he's a great role model though i did mention that well, he could be on the naughty list even though they might not get any toys i get it but he's definitely a liar that's, that's it's it's certainly a, a lie of omission but you know it's i think it's a difficult question to ask at what point do you reveal that a child right. is adopted i think that's sure. an individual decision for every family and you you might argue in this case that buddy doesn't seem to show a lot of maturity and so maybe papa elf was waiting for him to to grow up a little bit psychologically before that decision so i'm gonna give papa elf a break on this one okay that's fair that's fair but we do have to we do have to examine Papa Elf's motivations Absolutely. for taking on Buddy because Santa says, well, we have to give him back and in a roundabout kind of way. He doesn't yeah. really say it explicitly like that, but but in the back, Papa Elf is the narrator at the time. He doesn't narrate the rest of the movie, but he narrates that part and he says, you know. Some elf needs some companionship. He made me mm -hmm. lonely. I'm paraphrasing. Looking for some experience making t other than making toys. But we find out later that he's right. Santa's sled master, of course. He wants something different. And I want to be clear that I'm using the word lonely. He doesn't use the word lonely. He uses words that are more euphemistic for loneliness. And so I thought to myself, well, if he's capable of doing that because he has some need for companionship or legacy or whatever, but if he's capable of doing that, then I think he's capable of 
giving or providing a nurturing relationship with Buddy, he's gonna he's gonna secure that secure attachment. Right. So I do think that he he appears to be a a very loving and supportive father. Right. Um. So in that case, you would expect that Buddy would grow to have what we would call a secure attachment where he trusts other people. I think we see a lot of evidence of that in the film. He certainly wants close relationships. He he searches for, you know, people who can serve those important roles in his life. And um, he, when he meets someone with whom he's interested romantically, he he's not shy about expressing those feelings um he might not know quite how to do it so he takes some coaching from his his new brother but um <laughs> he he's certainly happy to to express that he appreciates her and, and that he's interested in her so those are all signs of the secure attachment that we would predict from someone who has grown up with a loving parent even though in this case it was a little bit delayed um most attachment theorists say that as long as you've got the presence of someone before the age of two you can establish that secure attachment. Yeah. And he does get away with some things, a lot of things, really, that anybody should rightly get away with, like, you know, hanging out with in the girls' locker room because he's right, a fan that's, of Jovi. That's definitely not okay. <laughs> Don't go into the girls' locker room and spy on women <laughs> when they're in the shower. That's going to be a hard right. pass. <laughs> um. But he also does show some signs of what we would call anxious attachment as well. So um, that could be because maybe he um, was in the orphanage longer than it seems in the movie. Maybe it took a while for him to bond with Papa Elf. We're not sure we didn't see that side of his life. But yeah. the anxious attachment is going to be people who feel a little bit insecure with their relationships and who had inconsistencies in childhood. So that also could be applied to Buddy. And we see some of that coming out when he's an adult because he seems to be really anxious about pleasing other people, making sure that he's acting according to their wishes as opposed to acting in accordance with his wishes. So he's clearly doing a lot of things just to please his father, even though they make him uncomfortable. Um, when he first meets his father, he immediately says, I love you, I love you. Uh, yeah. Anything for you, Dad. Um, I, I'm, I'm here with my dad, and we never met, and he wants me to sing him a song. <laughs> And um, I was adopted, but you didn't know I was born. So I'm here now. I found you, Daddy. And guess what? I love you. I love you. I love you. And that is, that you know, for most people, that would be probably a, a too soon type of uh, sharing. Yeah, on it's both ends, right? Too soon to hear it, too soon to say it, right? And you're right. Under normal, under typical circumstances. So yeah, going back to what you said uh, a few seconds ago, with that he does things to please his father. So even though it makes him uncomfortable when he has to go to work with Walter that one day, and you know, um, had to be wearing a suit. And um, he was being obnoxious in the office. So Walter sends him down 
to the um, mailroom and he creates fun. You know, somebody slips him some whiskey or bourbon, you know. Yeah, that's true. He, he thought it was he thought it was syrup. He didn't know. What yes. He was syrup. Air quotes over here. <laughs> right. So, yeah, he does a lot of things right. for Walter's affection or his approval because he honestly doesn't right. have anything else. Right. And and we see that when he makes the Christmas decorations overnight in uh Gimbel's, right? So he's he's someone who is willing to sacrifice his own needs, his own sleep um to try to please other people. And those are signs of a more anxious attachment style. Yeah. And let's quickly mention uh, his brother because we can talk about another one of the attachment styles from the theory. Uh, his name is Michael, I believe. And um, I think you would say that his attachment style is opposite to one of the two that we've already talked about. So what is Michael's attachment style? Well, I would argue that Michael is more closely in alignment with the third attachment style, um, and there were only three that will be originally uh, hypothesized. So it's it's a nice way to finish out the discussion of the theory. The third one was called uh, fearful attachment style or avoidant attachment style, and that really results from parents who are kind of consistently bad or consistently absent. And especially that latter, I think, applies to Michael's relationship with their father because it's clear that their father is a workaholic, um, clear that he doesn't really spend any time with Michael or or know anything about his own son. Um, they, they don't really seem to have any of that kind of quality time. And so Michael has grown up. I think his, his mother is certainly very supportive. And so he could get the security from her. But when it comes to his father, he doesn't trust his father he doesn't really believe that his father even really loves him, which we see coming out later in the movie as well. So in these cases, Michael shows the signs of fearful or avoidant attachment because he's he's built up this kind of wall or barrier in which he, he keeps people at bay a little bit because he, he doesn't trust that they're really going to be there when he needs them. Yeah, and I think that's most apparent in that uh, scene where he runs over to the publishing company and Walter's giving the pitch to the publisher right. and the board, I guess. And he immediately gives up his plea to go help Buddy after his dad's like, you know, get out. I'm doing something right now. And he and Michael's like, all right, fine, whatever. I don't know why I asked you. Right. And. He only asks once, but right. there's kind of a back and forth between Walter and the publisher and the publisher's like, you know, kid, go away. We're doing something important. But he gives up. He gives up. Uh, and ultimately, it's a callback, a full callback, or maybe not a full callback, kind of a, call, a small callback um, to an earlier scene where Walter has to, quote unquote, work for uh, during dinner. And so he grabs his plate and goes off to his office, which leaves Michael in the uh, room with his mom to just sit there and not have family time, you know? Right. Which, in fact, when their dad says, like, oh, I, I got a bunch of work to do, and he picks up his plate and goes into his office, 
he's not actually working. He's looking through his old yearbook <laughs> for pictures of Buddy's mom. So he's again again on the naughty list. Yeah, very true. <laughs> <laughs> liar. Man, so many liars in this movie. Yeah, it's true. The only virtuous person in this movie is Buddy. I agree. So, so blissfully virtuous. So I'll focus on Buddy just a little bit more because within this vein, uh, we mentioned, we mentioned, kind of mentioned at the top about Buddy and being sort of the, um, son to a mature papa elf and him being a decent, a decent caretaker from what we can tell from the montage. It's sort of just clips. And, but Buddy is very immature, right? He has the mind of a child. And the doctor, played by John Favreau, says this as much when he tells Walter that, yeah, you know, I did a super quick paternity test. It's a boy. Buddy's your son. That's very impossible. Sort of guy, he's certifiably insane. He's probably just reverting to a state of childlike dependency. An elf. Not real. Again, right. lying. I did the super quick paternity test, and he's your son, and so he's got the mind of a child, though he may be sort of going uh, to speculate uh, in a sort of way. He's just reverted or regressed to this childlike dependency state, and he just needs some nurturing from you now that he knows you, and now that he's met you, and he's gotten that information just... Being part of your family for a little while, and then maybe cut him loose after, you know, sort of sloughs off maybe what we'll say, I guess, here that we're alluding to that maybe it was all, uh, all, sorry, all an act. Okay. Well, I'm not sure if they thought it was an act or if they thought it was some kind of Freudian regression where he, because he's never met his father, he's fixated in some kind of childhood state. And so I think what the doctor was suggesting was, you know, spend a little time with him, acknowledge that he's your son, and then he won't need to be in this fixated state anymore. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. What I wanted to bring up about this was that I kind of got the sense of the dichotomy of growing up in our modern society, which is the importance of education, which much to everyone's chagrin will take away our innocence, right? It's going to go away no matter what, because the more we know, the more, uh, the less we get to bask in the blissful ignorance of life, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds cliche, but he doesn't get an education in the montage at the beginning of the movie. We um, see part of a classroom, but it's right. essentially learning, uh, learning how Christmas works. So there's no other no other life skills or how many uh, other things that you could know. Um, but, you know. Right. Right. What are the what are the rules? 
Stay tuned, listeners, because I do have something to say about survival skills that might be necessary in the North Pole. But, you know, maybe he's uh, he's at the innocence of childhood (laughs) and he, of course, has uh, been essentially hanging out with elves his entire life. He he grasps on to the innocence because he didn't get an education. I th- I think in some ways that's a really good point because I don't think they taught him, you know, math or literature or geography. <laughs> you know, I don't think he got any of the, the typical things that we would have in our education system. And so in a lot of ways, he is ignorant, right, in a lot of senses of the word. And so that could be one of the reasons that he seems so naive. Um, but I will say, you know, I want to kind of plug the positives of education, I guess. Oh, no, it's I totally, wanna... <laughs> totally negative as an educator. Wanna... Education is totally right. negative. <laughs> if any college students are listening to this, <laughs> I would argue there's a lot of research that shows um, there's some humility in becoming educated. If you can realize, you know, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know everything. Yeah, you know? and yeah. So, so there's some of that. Um, we can even go back to famous uh, role models like Frederick Douglass, who's saying, you know, the key to to freedom is education. Um, so even though the more educated you are, you might become a little bit more cynical because you see the problems of the world and you do lose that childlike innocence. Recognizing those is the only way that we can really make progress. I think you bring up a good point about the cynical uh, cynical uh, what 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 noun for uh cynicism cynicism <laughs> see if you were more educated you would know words like that thank Alex. you it's been a long day yeah i know uh, a doctor so is not going to do it i realized that as soon as i said it uh you know verses <laughs> innocence this was really yeah. important <laughs> because it's Absolutely. it's expressed in the characters. We have Buddy versus Walter. That's what I was trying to say. Right. Who's clearly very educated, you know, presumably he's got some kind of master's in business or children's literature or something. And uh, he's definitely cynical. I mean, he didn't care that the book was missing two pages that were essential to the plot. He's like, yeah, right. it doesn't really matter that they're in. Just, just do the print. Just, they're not going to know. There's right. dumb kids. It's just a kid's book, you know. 100% cynical. And so this plays into a great segue uh, of an aspect that wormed in of the movie that wormed into my brain and wouldn't let go after I watched this movie to prepare for our our chat here. So I watched it over the weekend and um a couple of days later this idea popped into my head and I've been thinking about it for more than 48 hours, okay? So the psychological concept that poked me in the brain was the placebo effect, okay? Now, hear me out. What are you talking about, the placebo effect? Well, well, belief in Santa, as expressed in the film, is just like how the placebo effect works. So if you're not familiar with the placebo effect, the placebo effect is uh, when a 
belief in the efficacy or the effectiveness of some treatment or intervention makes it work. Okay, so you receive the outcome without the active intervention or treatment. Usually you see this with with drug uh, drug studies. And uh, so one group is given the active ingredient and another group is given a sugar pill that looks like the active pill. And what's found is that uh, sometimes with especially antidepressant drug makers because depression is a hard nut to crack. The patients who receive the placebo end up feeling as better in some of these more ineffective drugs that, you know, have never reached the market because, you know, they're no better than a placebo. So, yeah, I feel I feel like this is a, a great uh a great application of the placebo effect to something that's not readily seen by uh, or in in the classroom context of discussing the placebo effect because it's usually in the case of the drugs. Okay, and so you see this in how um, Santa's sleigh works. You're going to help me make it fly. I thought the magical reindeer made the sleigh fly. And where did the reindeer get their magic from? Christmas spirit. Everybody knows that. Well, as silly as it sounds, a lot of people down south don't believe in Santa Claus. What? Who do they think puts all their toys under the tree? Well, there's a rumor floating around that uh, that the parents do it. That's That's ridiculous. I mean, parents couldn't do that all in one night. What about Santa's cookies? I suppose parents eat them too? Yeah, I know. I, I know. And every year, less and less people believe in Santa Claus. I mean, we have a real energy crisis on our hands. Oh. I mean, just see how it works by um, Christmas Shocking. spirit, okay? It's essentially the belief in Santa Claus and um, thinking that Christmas is a good holiday, you know, a, a family-centered good holiday. And uh, this is a conversation that is had in the beginning of the film between Buddy and Papa Elf. And because the clausometer is so low, Papa Elf had to create a, you know, wonderful jet turbine to help the reindeer fly the sleigh. And uh, it takes all of the 20 people that they find in New York City <laughs> at the end of the movie to to get to get the sleigh off the ground and they have to start singing Santa Claus is coming to town. And of course the four horsemen of central park nod to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Fun fact, um, is the idea. And of course, Walter being the cynic he is, doesn't really believe in Santa Claus until buddy comes into his life. And finally he gets the true meaning of Christmas and there you go. Boom. Bob's your uncle. Slay gets off the ground and uh, it can fly again purely on the basis of belief. The The other thing that I wanted to share uh, about the uh, placebo effect uh, and this idea is um, sham knee treatments. This is another one of my favorite go to's for uh, placebo effect 
placebo effect discussions is like you can um, do a placebo effect sham surgery. They go through the whole nine yards of putting people in the surgery. Nothing was done to them. They report having no knee pain afterward. It's like, wait, wait, what? No knee pain? Nothing. There was nothing. (laughs) So I never would have thought of the placebo effect at the end of this movie. I think it's a really brilliant connection. I definitely see what you're saying because it's literally belief is what's going to make my sleigh fly, right? So um, I think it's a really good example of what I would argue is a placebo effect. Here's what I'm going to argue as the um, upbeat lady that I am. (laughs) So I have experienced what I think is a placebo effect. I get motion sickness and um, I take these like ginger pills when I fly. Sure. And, you know, maybe ginger helps nausea. You you know, when you're a kid, you drink ginger ale and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, But I take these ginger pills and they totally made me not get motion sickness. And I I did it for like three years. (laughs) And then um, one time I was in a hurry when I was packing and I got to the airport and the flight was already boarding and I was like all rushed and I get on the plane and an hour into the flight, I realize I totally forgot to take my ginger pills and I'm not sick at all. So <laughs> I realized at that point, two things. Number one, pretty sure these ginger pills are just a placebo effect. <laughs> but number two thing I realized, which I think comes comes back to the movie here is the most important word in the placebo effect is effect, right? Yeah. Like it, it's, it makes it work. Right. So if I had horrible knee pain <laughs> and I could find a doctor to secretly give me fake surgery, I would rather have that than real surgery. That sounds yeah, great. Yeah, I wonder what the Because I wouldn't like even know. <laughs> so let's, let's focus on in terms of the film. The point of this is basically like, you have to believe in things to make them meaningful. You have right. to believe in the power of family. You have to believe in um, what's really important in the holidays, right? Like, again, it's it's coming together as a family, showing appreciation and gratitude, um, spending quality time with each other. So if you believe in that aspect of whatever holiday is it is that you celebrate, I think that's one of the really important messages of this film and why... I think anyone can love it, even if you don't celebrate Christmas or don't particularly like Will Ferrell. might be harder to like the movie then. But if you can come away with it, with the idea that one of the main messages of the film is, you know, if you're going to try something, you have to believe in it and you have to believe in yourself. I think that's a really good message. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean to say that the placebo effect is bad in the context of if you believe in Santa Claus, go ahead and continue (laughs) believing in Santa Claus. I think there are healthier beliefs. You know, go ahead and continue believing in Santa Claus. I'm not saying that I believe I in Santa Claus. I say that with my tongue firmly in my tra- <laughs> cheek. No, it's uh, immediately why I thought about it and haven't stopped thinking about it for the you know past 48 hours, maybe even more than 48 hours. Yeah, that's what I want. I can tell you now, every time that I watch Elf, I'm going to think about the placebo effect now. So for... Anyone listening, that is exactly what I want, and it's just going to stick exactly. 
Good job. You're living rent-free in my head now. So, uh, Wind, any other final points that you want to bring up uh, about the movie and uh, site concepts? I think those are the major things that jumped out at me. Um, Certainly, we could come up with lots of other things, but that's true of any movie. So, I would say those are the key points. Not bad, not bad. I did want to bring up one last thing because I love it. Um, Because I thought it was so brilliant. Okay, super, super brilliant. So, you know, Cinema Sins, the brilliant YouTube channel, they've been around for a while and they you nitpick films and it's amazing the everything wrong with insert film title here. Uh, they recently did Elf, which I thought was kind of fun because I think I had asked you before the episode of their show dropped on YouTube. And so, you know, we had already chosen the film <laughs> Elf uh, that we were going to talk about and we were going to prepare for Elf like we normally do. And so their episode dropped and I was like, oh, how pleasant, how coincidental. So one of the points that I thought was hilarious and bears repeating to, you know, potentially a different audience uh, because a lot of the way that I watch the film is uh, the way that they watch films. And so one of the things that you have to do for fantasy films is suspend your disbelief. Okay. And Elf even though it's set in modern day New York is a fantasy film because of the Santa Claus, North Pole Christmas elements. Um, sorry for true believers in Santa Claus there. And so a Christmas film, it fits a larger genre of fantasy. And so you have to suspend your disbelief about um, the North Pole and what that means for a human in the North Pole. But CinemaSins picked up a really funny idea. Um, so Buddy goes... And uh, leaves the North Pole in just his elf costume, his elf clothes. And they look like super long, uh, super short leggings and um, super short, uh, super thin leggings is what I mean. And um, maybe a coat, maybe a little bit of a coat. Uh, but nothing much, right? This is not survival gear. This is not cold weather gear. And so... It seems rather thin. And so the idea is that he doesn't get very far from Santa's village. And the rest of the movie is a fever dream of a man who is dying of hypothermia. A fever dream, a man dying of hypothermia. Um, You know, because he's in the North Pole and it's friggin' cold. (laughs) That's kind of a bummer, man. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Counterpoint. If, if we're arguing that the unrealistic part of the movie is that he, we've already gone through the fact that Santa exists. There are elves at the North Pole. He's been given up for adoption and has been taken to the North Pole and raised into adulthood by Papa Elf. And then it is only when he decides to leave to go to New York that it becomes unrealistic. I feel like that's, that's a little bit of a shaky argument. 
I mean, sure, Santa could exist, except you know, accepting that one. But you know, it's very cold, very cold up there in the North Pole. No, and none I'm, of the I'm classes he took at, as an elf that we see is about survival, as I said earlier in the show. True. So you know, how do we know he can survive in the uh, in the Arctic? Maybe he could survive in the North Pole well, in Santa's village because maybe they have excellent heating. Maybe they have excellent heating. Maybe his um, costume is made out of magical. <laughs> from the from the reindeers who have died of natural causes. I like the addition there. Who have died <laughs> of natural causes. Right? <laughs> They've lived really happy, healthy, full reindeer lives. Exactly. Yes. By the way, just um okay, my final point that I'll make here, and I have no idea if this is scientifically accurate, but this is like what I heard one time. Um, and I love this fact, even if it's not true, um, because it's sort of like feminist Santa, um, is that reindeer, the male reindeer shed their antlers every year and then grow new antlers. I did in not the know spring. that. Yeah. The wow. female, female reindeer keep their antlers all year round. Huh. If this is true, at Christmas, the only reindeer that would still have antlers are the female. So... When we see the images of the reindeer with their big antlers, that means that all of the reindeer pulling Santa's sleigh have to be lady reindeer. Okay, so you know Dasher and Dancer and Donner and mm -hmm. Blitz and Connor right. and Cupid and Cupid. Uh, Vixen is the last one. Yeah, I just Don got, I, I got Vixen. Uh, I can't remember the last two. Are you are you arguing? Vixen sounds pretty female. I'll give you Vixen. I don't know Connor. Connor, maybe. I don't know. We've got we've got female Taylors. We've got we've got male Beverly's. You don't know. There might not be a gender dichotomy in the North Pole. Okay, maybe you're right. Maybe it could be a gender bending. Yeah, it could be a gender bending name. Dasher. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there could be like a whole reindeer gender bending culture that we never know about. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You don't get you don't get to know a lot about the whole <laughs> thing, and so you don't get to know a lot about the reindeer like you do in the Santa Claus movies. Uh, it's very true. Uh, I could that could be that could be right. Thanks for thanks for indulging me on this. One. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. You bet. <laughs> All right, Wind, I want to thank you for joining me to discuss Elf for this Christmas-themed episode. Hey, listener, if you could please show some love and maybe the Christmas spirit uh, and uh, subscribe, give us a like, give us a rating on wherever you get your podcasts, that would be excellent. When do you have anything to plug before saying goodbye? Oh, sh sure. Uh, you can buy the Joker Psychology really at, at any book retailer. It's it's available on book websites of which you might think. Um, <laughs> and uh, the the book that I'm co-editing right now on stigma research and intervention that's not out yet. But if there are any listeners who think that they might want to contribute a chapter to that because you yourself are doing research on stigma reduction, please email me. It's just my last name, goodfriend, at bvu.edu. So that's like Buena Vista University. Wind, thanks for joining me again. I really appreciate it. 
I had a lot of fun with this conversation. I did too. I hope that I get to come back. That's probably likely. Until the next episode, thanks for listening. <laughs>